Our story starts with a guy named Joe. Now, Joe is just your average Joe Schmo. One thing that did make Joe stand out was his family. Joe had 11 brothers from four mothers, but just one dad. Joe Schmo was a bit of a snitch. He told his dad when his bros broke the rules. Consequently, Joe Schmo was not very popular with his bros. When Joe was 17, his dad gave him a fancy coat. This coat proved to Joe's bros that he was dad's number one, so this didn't make life with Joe's bros very fun. On top of being a snitch and the favorite kid, Joe Schmo liked to dream. In his dreams, Joe's bros bowed to him, and mom and dad did too. Joe's dad got a little mad when Joe told him all of this. Joe's bros finally had enough of Joe. They decided to throw poor Joe Schmo in a hole. They told their dad that Joe had been killed by a beast, but instead of being left in a grave, Joe Schmo was sold to a traveling caravan as a slave. Oh no, Joe! All right, welcome. Welcome to everybody here in Newburgh, West Campus, online. We're so glad you're here. My self-esteem's a little down today because people have told me I look like one of the Mario brothers with this background up on the screen. Also, I was handed about 20 breath mints, and somebody actually looked at me on the text team and said, wow, you're actually wearing a nice shirt. I don't know what that meant. <laughs> Guys, happy 4th of July. Only three more days, two more days till the 4th, and catch this, only 177 days till Christmas. I know. Can you believe that? Where does time go? Listen, I wear a small in some brands, but usually a double extra large if you shop early. I don't know what brand I would wear a small in, but boy, wouldn't that be exciting. <laughs> hey, before we get started, I want to say something. I want to reiterate what Daryl said on our campus and Dave said on the West Campus. We are so grateful to our church family for the generosity you have poured out over the last year, and we have used that generosity. We have partnered with places like California, Japan, and India to plant churches. And did you, I don't know if you know this or not, but st statistically, the greatest thing you can do evangelistically is to plant a new church. Our West Campus is thriving and growing at an alarming rate. We're almost done renovating the, the Newburgh family entrance. We have seen numerous people come to Christ. I just talked with, a, with one of the, the senior high guys. Or between junior high camp and senior high camp, we have baptized over 30 kids just this summer, just in the last month. That is amazing. And in case there's that one doubter out there that says, well, you know, they're young, they're making these crazy decisions. I came to know Christ at a camp. I came to know Jesus and gave my life to ministry at the very first camp I ever went to. Uh, we, we've, we've continued to, to be a part of local outreach in places like Glenwood and T.P. Park. You know what Jesus said? You know why Jesus said I've come? He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. I came so that people would come to know Christ. You know, sometimes it's inconvenient to give. Sometimes we give up things to be here. It's not exactly the way it was or exactly the way we like. But then I think about how Jesus gave up all of his glory to come to this earth because he loved us. And why did he do it? To seek and to save the lost. And that is what we were all about. And to continue supporting these ministries throughout the summer, I want to encourage you to start maybe thinking about setting up reoccurring giving online. That way we can stabilize throughout the summer months and throughout the year. You can set up reoccurring giving by going to cccgo.com slash give. Select Give Now, and it'll give you the instructions. If you're watching online, you can pick the campus nearest you to support. Spreading the truth that Jesus loves you and the world around us is what we're all about, and every dollar goes towards that. So it's vital. It's giving back. It's important. Let me pray. Father, we love you. We worship you. We praise you. God, we get to be a part of your kingdom. 
We get to know Jesus. We get to come to Crossroads. We get to be involved in this ministry. It is an honor. It is a privilege. And we are grateful, God. We love you and worship you and praise you. We invite you to come to speak, Lord. Be a part of this ministry. We don't want to do it without you. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. How's your summer going? I mean, are there pool parties, cookouts? Have you had to, had to go camping? If so, I'll pray that God will restore your soul and your joy. I've been camping like three times, honestly, the worst three times of my life. Don't write letters. I'm not going anyway. You know, maybe summer isn't a time of rest and relaxation for, relaxation for you. Maybe you work outside on roofs. My son-in-law said to me a couple days ago, he said, yeah, summer's great, except for the fact that I work in AC and I only go to places where there isn't AC, so it's really hot. Maybe, to be honest, you don't have the money or the time for a grand vacation. Because here's the real deal. Life doesn't always turn out the way we expect it to, does it? I mean, I hope that your summer is going great, but the real question is this. How is your life going? Has life gone the way you expected it to? Prom was maybe, prom was perfect. Your wedding was the Cinderella dream you started planning when you were eight years old. Uh, your job is so amazing, you can't wait to start work every day. I mean, you get there early. Maybe. Maybe, but I would bet for a lot of us, our realities have turned out a little different than our dreams. Life just kind of has this way of happening around us, doesn't it? What do you do? What do you do when the life you're living isn't the dream you had? I, I, I would bet, I'm going to go with 75% of us live in this, this truth. What do you do when the life you're living isn't the dream you had? I wanted to be a herpetologist, a scientist who studied amphibians and reptiles, and I, I had a room full of snakes until I came to know Christ. Real life kind of happens while you're waiting for the dream of life to happen, doesn't it? I mean, maybe your wedding wasn't perfect. You didn't really have much time to plan it. Money was tight. Families didn't get along. Perhaps, perhaps the wedding never happened at all. Is that okay? Are you okay anyway? What if the job you have isn't the job you wanted? I mean, you started out being at 10 years old, you wanted to be a policeman or a fireman. One of our own, Ben Davis, just turned 36 and just became a fireman. Been the dream of his life. He made it. But, but what, if, what if you didn't? You, you go to work every day, but it's a challenge. What do you do when the life you're living isn't the dream you had? Can there be joy anyway? I, I submit to you that there can. Are, are, are you enjoying it or are you spending your time lamenting over what could have been? Let me put it a much simpler way. Uh, if you've been around me for very long, you've heard me say this. I will call people around the country and they will actually answer the phone saying this line, knowing I'm going to say it. Are you enjoying life or enduring life? Are you living life to the fullest, waking up every day so excited? Do you go to bed at night knowing your life has made a difference, or at least it will? Or is life a test of endurance? Nothing has turned out the way you wanted it to. Perhaps you deal even with more guilt than joy. 
Life doesn't always go the way we want or match up to the dreams that we have. But I want to say this to you, and I I want you to hear me. I, I want you to actually, over this series, I want you to hear the word of God as if it actually applies to you. I want you to hear it and say, you know what? All right, if that is a promise from the word of God, then that is a promise for me. What do you do when life doesn't go the way you want? I want to tell you today, if it hasn't, that does not mean that you have to spend years in regret. You can. You can be miserable up to the time you go see Jesus, but you don't have to. For the next four weeks, we're going to be focusing on this. God can take any life and any situation And turn it around to his glory and your joy. Let me say that again, and I want you to take it in. God can take any life and any situation and turn it around to his glory and your joy. Before I walked out on the stage, I got a phone call from one of my boys in California. I've got to follow up after this. And he was in tears. I don't even know what's going on in his life, but he was just crying profusely. He said, Rick, I've got to talk to you. I said, buddy, I'm walking out on stage. Can I call you when I get done? Absolutely. But you know what I left him with? Buddy, God can take any life in any situation and turn it around to his glory and to his joy. For the next four weeks, we're going to be focusing on that. He can buy back the worst sinner. He can bring peace into the greatest pain. He can lead you out of the darkest alley. He can use you in any of the worst situations. He can use you at work, home, or in prison. We're going to concentrate on dealing with real life and finding contentment, dealing with the good, the bad, the ugly, and and, and sometimes the absolutely amazing. And my prayer is at the end of this, you will find joy and peace right where you are. Even if that doesn't mean you're going to have to be there forever. You see, joy is almost never in the destination as much as it is in the journey. I, I learned this when I was at Bush Gardens many, many years ago, and I was standing in line for a ride called the Python. The bride lasted, I think I timed it at like 47 seconds. You know how long the line was? Two and a half hours. Anybody else dumb like me? Stand in those lines? Two and a half hours for 47 seconds. And it dawned on me, you've got to enjoy the line as much as you enjoy the ride. I mean, you got to be joking and laughing and meeting with family. And, and man, I'll find out somebody's, you won't believe this. I'll find out somebody's birthday in the line. I'll get the whole crew. I mean, thousands of people to sing happy birthday. You want to be in line with me. <laughs> Why? Because I realize that joy is almost never in the destination as much as it is in the journey. It does not matter where you are, but who you are while you're waiting to get there. We're going to be digging into the Old Testament, and more precisely, we're going to dig into the life of Joseph. Not to be confused with the Joseph of the New Testament who married Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is the Old Testament Joseph. He was one of the sons of Jacob. Jacob's 12 sons made up the the famous 12 tribes of Israel. And we're we're going to try to pull out truth and clues on how to have amazing lives, whether the path ahead is smooth or really, really rocky. Join with me in looking at Genesis chapter 37. The beginning years of Joseph's life were great. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the son of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things that they were doing. 
Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. I get this. My brother is nine years younger than me. And when he came along, man, he was the baby of the family, right? So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. Joseph's life looked so sweet, and it is. His dad not only loved him, he loved him most. He worked for his brothers, but not really. He was the one who had his father's ear. He may not have had the authority but he, or had the title, but he had the authority. And on top of that, dad makes Joseph a beautiful coat. Genesis 37, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. Well, it gets better. Genesis chapter 37, verse five. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We're out in the field, tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and all of your bundles gathered around and bowed low before me. Hey, hey, guess what, guys? Guess what, brothers? One day, you are going to bow down before me. Isn't that awesome? And you know what? This isn't just a dream. God has literally sent Joseph a vision and, and a promise that he would be the leader over them. It got better. R verse 9, soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, he needs to stop talking to his brothers. Listen, I, I have had another dream. He said, the sun, the moon, the 11 stars bowed low before me. You know what he was saying there? Uh, God gives him this vision that I'm going to excel way above mom and dad. I mean, the whole family's going to be bowing down to me at some point. Now, here's the crazy thing. Make no mistake, God gave those visions to Joseph. This was going to happen. They were promises from God. God had plans for Joseph's life. And here, here's another. And remember how I said, I want you to, to soak these truths in. Make no mistake that God has a plan for your life too. I, what, what, whether today finds you filled with joy or lost in despair, God has a plan for your life. I fully understand that you might be sitting here saying, no way. Nothing is going right in my life now. To which I respond, your life is not over. I, I, I debated on whether or not to say this because I, I feel like I've said it before, but about four years ago, maybe a little longer ago, I was suffering from this intense depression, this debilitating depression. Only people who have suffered from it can know what I'm talking about. I was suicidal. That's just, I'm not trying to be put on any pedestal. So if you say you're too honest, I don't, I want to be that. If you got me on a pedestal, get me off. I mean, I, 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 I was suicidal. Well, now go to last weekend when we went to uh, uh, my daughter's baby reveal. We did it the redneck way. We planted a bomb in the forest, shot at it, blew up. My son-in-law's family was there. My family was there. Walmart was empty. But you know what, man? I got to like, I got to set the chalk on top. If you know how this works, you set it on top of this thing and then you shoot it and it blows up the chalk. But you have to, somebody has to know the gender of the baby to put the chalk on top. And I opened up the envelope and I'm behind a mount. Nobody can see me. And it says, it's a boy. And I was 
overcome with joy and peace and thinking, you know, my, my son was up from California. You know, Katie was there. Donald, a great guy, was there. All the families were there. I was overcome with joy and it dawned on me, what if I had succeeded four years ago? What if I had died? I was in a throes of absolute misery. Perhaps you're saying God doesn't want to use me. No way. Nothing is going right right now. To which I say your life is not over. I, 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 want, I want that message to be clear to you. God has plans for you. He had plans for me. I get to be here. I get to be with you. I get to talk about Jesus. I got to go to California and, and lead hundreds of people to cry. All after that four years. What is God going to do with you? In, in Jeremiah chapter 29, we find God's people enslaved to the Babylonians because of bad choices they had made. But God goes to the prophet and says this, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. Now, these are some messed up people, messing up people. Good enough to give you a future and a hope. In those days, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. That's what he did for me. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I will bring you home again to your own land. That, that's the heart of God. Old Testament and New Testament alike. He's not interested in you spending eternity paying for your mistakes. So don't you be interested in it either. He doesn't want you enslaved to anything or anyone, including guilt and despair. God is a God of restoration. He, he's a God of forgiveness of second, third, fourth, and, 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 and 10,000 chances. Remember what he said? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. That is so God. That is the God I have known for 39 years who has delivered me countless times, forgiven me, rescued me. You know, he has never given up on me. And to be honest, I've never given up on him either. Uh, I've been mad at him. Let me get real disclosure here. I, I've, I've shake, shaken my fist and I have cussed at him. Y'all don't judge me. You've done it too. I, I've been so angry at him. Why? Because I'm great at panicking. Not that he deserved it. Not that he wasn't God. Not that I had a right to do it. But he loves me enough to let me do it. I was that little kid kicking in the grocery store. Buy me a candy bar. That was me. I'm great at panicking. I'm great at thinking this is the end. God can't get me out of this one. But you know what? Somehow, someway here I sit. Maybe your life isn't anything like the seemingly picture-perfect life of Joseph. In fact, it stinks. And I want to pause here and say this. I get legitimate sadness, and I don't want to take that away from you. In fact, the Bible says there's a time to mourn. I talked to a precious guy. Last night, I'd been married 37 years. His wife died a year and a half ago. And he said, Rick, he goes, I just battle with sadness. Smile on his face, but sadness in his heart. I get that. The Bible says there's a time to mourn. You're not sinning if you're in the midst of mourning. I, I'm more talking to that guy or that girl who never stops mourning. Because the Bible says there's a time to cry, but then it says it's followed by a time to laugh. There's a time to weep, but then that's followed by a time to dance. If you never, ever get to the dancing time, something might just be wrong. 
Maybe, maybe your life isn't anything like the seemingly picturesque life of Joseph. How can you go on? Where can joy be found? Let me make a suggestion, suggestion here. Contentment is often found in the relentless pursuit of God. Now hear that fresh and new. Even if you think you're pursuing God, hear what this means. Contentment is often found in the relentless pursuit of God. Verse 12 says, in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. There's a lot on you. There's not always a lot on us in the scripture. A lot of times it's God doing this. But the Lord says, here's some things I want you to do. Don't stop pursuing me. Don't start looking. Stop looking for me. Don't stop praying. One of my, one of my favorite kids, I've known him since he was 12. I think Ben's now 22, 23 years old. His name's Ben James. And Ben's been through a lot. And in fact, it's, it's literally left him scarred on his face. Still such a great looking kid. I encourage him every day. But he's been through a lot. And, and Ben is really coming closer to Jesus than he's ever been. And he's loving the Lord and he's calling me, you know, once a week, sometimes twice a week. And he said to me just a couple days ago, he called me and said, Rick, I've started praying for the first time in my life, he goes, I watched other people pray and people have told me about prayer, but I started praying and he goes, and God is answering and doing so many amazing things in my life and I'm so angry. And I said, Pat, why are you angry? He said, why didn't I start praying years ago? Never, listen, prayer isn't for somebody else, it's for you. And it makes a difference. Stop saying, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to do that. Say, God, go with me. God, can we do this? God, let's do this together. Never stop praying. You know what God said? If you will seek me, if you will pray, if you will listen. That's a lot. That's on you. That's on me. If I'll seek him, if I'll pray, if I'll listen, you can find peace in the midst of the worst storm. Our part is simply to call out to God. If we will simply seek him, he will be found. He said, I will end your captivity. I will restore your fortunes. I will give you a future and a hope. He has dreams for every single one of us. God the Father speaks these words to the Old Testament, uh, Isaiah, and the prophet Isaiah. He said, I publicly proclaim bold promises. I do not whisper in obscurity in some dark corner. I had a 175-pound Rottweiler. This verse made me think of him. When I walked down the streets, I did not hide. You hid. People cross the street, 175, had a 33 inch neck. I do whatever I wanted to do when I was with that dog. You think God's afraid? He's, man, I'm not hiding in some corner. I'm telling you I'm gonna bless you. I'm telling you I love you. I'm telling you I died for you. I, I would not have told the people of Israel to seek me if I could not be found. The Lord said, the Lord, speak only what is true and declare only what is right. Jesus reiterates those words in Luke chapter 11. And so I tell you, keep on asking, you will receive whatever you ask for. Now listen, God's not our vending machine. I put a dollar in, I press Pepsi. I'm his vending machine. He puts in whatever he wants, he presses, and I want to give that to him. But if we continue to seek God, keep on seeking, you find, keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. God is saying, I know it's best for you. It's joy and it's peace. And if you will seek me, I will point you in the direction and I will give you those things. There is always hope. God can take the worst situation and see you through it. He's not the cause of our pain. 
But you know what? He's often the ender of our pain. He's the master artist who can use whatever life throws at us to bring something good. Paul put it this way. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God is a master orchestrator. Joseph believes God's plan for his life. He, he believes the vision is going, that he's going to lead his family. But oh man, God had bigger plans for him. By that man, wow, life is perfect for him, isn't it? No, not at all. Is it ever? You don't have to look too close to notice that there's some dysfunction going on in this blended family. Let's look back at Genesis 37. He worked for his half Brothers, this is a blended family. The sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah, multiple marriages. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. And the Bible says his brothers hated him. Because, and by the word, this word hate, this word hate, I, I looked this up. This means like this, I, I want to see you harmed. I want to see bad things happen to you. I do not want you to succeed. I want you to fail. This is an intense word. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. And he couldn't just sit at a meal. He couldn't walk down the hallway. And he reported to his fathers when his brothers messed up. He worked for his older brothers, but in all reality, they had no authority. Dad always had his back. They were set up for failure. You know what? Families aren't perfect. Find me one biblical family that was perfect. You know what the beauty of God is? We think God is seeking perfection, but he isn't because he's not dumb. He knows he's not going to get it. I, I want to interject here that dysfunction is normal, so stop beating yourself up over it. Dysfunction is normal. We get, you know, I, I blew it. I, of course you did. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I'm the guy, I sit at McDonald's, I sit in there thinking, oh my gosh, if I was that kid's dad, I do that. You know, I realized a long time ago, people who really love their kids, you know how they're raising their children the best way they know how. This dysfunction is normal, so grab onto it and just say, you know what, we're nuts. Let's just be a family anyway. And we get so freaked out. We get so freaked out. You know, some dads, some grandpas are like, man, I, I never pushed my kids on a swing because I was so busy. Okay, stop lamenting and go push your grandchildren on a swing. Start enjoying life. Joseph had a vision that his family would bow down to him, but not everybody was excited and it wasn't happening immediately. At first glance, Joseph's life couldn't be better, but at second glance, it couldn't get worse. Look at Genesis 37, verse 12. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flock at Shechem, when they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, why wasn't Joseph there? He's so watching TV with dad. He's playing golf. He's not working. Your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. It would have been a whole lot better if he said, I'm not going. Because look at 37 verse 18. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. And as he approached, they made plans to kill him. I don't want to breeze over that. How do you get to that point of being murderous towards a family member? It's like something out of reality TV, isn't it? 
I mean, you know what had to be going on? There had to be a lot of hatred meetings. I bet not all of them were that mad, but they got with the other mad people. And then mad seems to be like this, this breeder reactor, doesn't it? You know, you might be really happy with something, but somebody walks up, can you believe he did that? Can you believe he said that? Before you know it, you've got little cults going on, man. You've got little groups, might even be a small group. And you're sitting there tearing everything apart. And before you know it, you hate when you didn't hate. I walked into the meeting at a grocery store pretty sure, recently. I'm pretty sure that was happening. How do I know? Because of the way they looked at me. I walked in, they went, oh. I'm like, these people are always nice to me in the hallway. I walked into something. Y'all know who you are. That stuff happens. Look at verse 19. Here comes a dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him in one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. I want to pause here and say this. Joseph's brothers were wealthy. Jacob is reportedly one of the wealthiest man, men in all of Scripture. Their family had money. They were well-fed. They had jobs in the family business and bright futures. They may not have been wearing the nicest robe, but I guarantee you they weren't wearing the cheapest robe in the desert either. Enter in a major destroyer of joy, a thing that will cause life to be more of a test of endurance than enjoyment. They were discontent. And that was on them. Discontent, dissatisfaction with one's circumstances. These guys were rich. They had daddy's business. The act of not being satisfied. The thought that what you have is never enough. Jealousy brought them misery. Not Joseph, not Joseph's dreams. Jealousy, dissatisfaction was destroying them. If you find yourself enduring life all the time rather than enjoying it, you might need to take a step back and look at you, not your circumstances, but how you're dealing with your circumstances, how you're feeling about your circumstances. I'm not a great golfer, but when I play golf, I try to remember all the facts and sometimes I'll just be playing horrible and I'll say, step back. And I'll rethink everything. If you find yourself enjoy, enduring life rather than enjoying it, you might need to take a step back. You might need to stop looking at what you don't have and start looking at what you do have. Uh, your job, it may not be perfect, but you have a job. Your house or your apartment isn't huge, but you, you're not living on the street. And if you are living on the street, then there are people here who will love you and who will help you. Your car isn't brand new, but you're not hitchhiking. And if you are, you're young, have fun. I'm not endorsing hitchhiking, mom and dad. <laughs> Joy, peace, and contentment. Often obtaining those things is as simple as choosing to have them. Someone will always have more than you do. Always. But I'll bet you have what you need. Listen, contentment is often found in self-satisfaction. Choosing to be content. Contentment is found in self-satisfaction. I choose to be content. Look at Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. I have all that I need. You may not be at the end of your journey, but let me encourage you to begin enjoying where you are right now. Start taking account of what you have. Contentment is often a choice you or I need to make every day. Hey, in the last few minutes that I have, I want to encourage you to add two words to your vocabulary. Now, I'm going to get letters about this emails. It's Rick Kyle when you send those. I'm going to simply text back, thanks for your feedback, just so you know that ahead of time. Let's just cut it to the middleman. You don't send it. I won't send back. 
I want to encourage you to add two words to your vocabulary that I believe can make your life better. Two words that you've heard many times, but probably not from a stage. Here they are. So what? So what? Didn't think I'd be... Was Joseph the favorite? Absolutely. Did his dad treat him better than anyone else? Absolutely. So what? The Bible doesn't say that Jacob didn't love them too. Is everything perfect at crossroads? Absolutely not. So what? Lead people to Jesus in here anyway. So what? They weren't the favorites. It was unfair. But guess what? It wasn't going to change. Should, should they pout and get angry? Should they blame life, hate, choose misery, start focus groups? Or should they have been content? Because here's the deal. All the pouting and all the anger in the world rarely changes any situation. So why do it? Does your boss treat you, treat others better than you? So what? You know what? Bring him Starbucks anyway. You still have the job. Does your neighbor or friend drive a better car? So what? If your car's like my car, it takes a lot of maintenance, but it's basically still on the road. My buddy Joe just got a big, beautiful BMW. I covet that all the time. I have to give that to God until Joe gives me the car. <laughs> Is your brother or sister more successful? So what? What if instead of being jealous or angry, what if you celebrated that? Contentment is often found in self-satisfaction. It's you choosing to be content. You know what number 10 of the 10 commandments is? You must not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox, donkey, BMW, Mercedes, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. You know what covet means? Yearn to possess a strong desire to have what somebody else has. I think covetousness is, is, is the leading cause of depression and guilt. It's a destructive sin. I was really happy. I got a new phone. I was so happy with my new phone. I, I, I call my son on my new phone. I've got this new phone. You know what he said? The other phone has a better camera. And I started thinking, crud, I bought the wrong phone. Then I thought, what am I, a professional photographer? So what? Comparison is literally killing us. Stop doing it. Step back. Begin to be grateful. Begin to pray. Begin to seek God. Begin to understand that he does have plans for you. Your life may be miserable right now, right now but your life is not over. Look, look, look at what Paul said in Philippians 2. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. I want you to have that. I want you to have joy. I want you to have more. How do I help you get it? You help everybody else get what they want and you will turn around and have everything you want. What if Joseph's brother decided to love Joseph even if he was dad's favorite? What if they thought we've been given so much? I guarantee you they would have enjoyed life a hundred times more. Don't let your bad attitude destroy your life. This week's story doesn't end well for our boy Joseph. I don't have time to get into this whole passage, but basically they throw him in a ditch and then sell him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. He's gone from the bottom or from the top to the bottom, from daddy's favorite to a lowly slave. It seems like all of his hopes and dreams are over. The death of a vision, the end of God's plan. 
But is it? How in the world can anything good come out of all of this? I'll tell you next week. Let me pray. Father, we love you. We have so much. We get to do this. We get to love you. We get to be your children. We get to go to heaven. We get to share Jesus. We get to be a part of this amazing church where people are loved. I get to walk out in that hallway with the most gracious people I've ever met. And I don't ever want to lose the joy and the wonder of that. Father, instill, pour out the oil of joy and peace on these people. And I, and I get, I get that there's real sadness. Father, bless them. Jesus' name. I want to say again, I, I get that so what doesn't work for everybody. There are times of sadness, but I want to encourage you, hang in there. God loves you. God loves you. This too shall pass. All right, God bless.